Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, it's Thursday night, which means it's time for another edition of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And we're back with a great edition today as we're talking about our best, our pitfalls, and our sleeper wide receivers. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Thank you to those who are watching us live on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe and hit the bell notification so you get notified whenever we have new content available to you. You can also download us on your favorite podcast app and stay up to date with the show when you're on the go. I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait a minute, where's Britt Flynn of Fantasy Alarm? Why We came on to watch this that show. We didn't come on to watch the two of you. I know, I get it. Unfortunately, she's under the weather. She has assured me that as long as she's feeling better, and I hope that she will be, she'll be back next week for our Wednesday episode at 9.30 when we continue on this series with our tight end. So we look forward to that and hope that Britt gets better soon but i do have my co-host chris dowhauer in the building with me and chris we're getting ready just like everybody else is for one of the biggest fantasy football draft weekends we got a home league on saturday yes we do we finally get to draft for some of the ones that we're very serious about now dan's in about 400 different leagues so he's more spread oh. out than i am i do two specific ones with friends and family that I grew up with and you'll know, be doing one for about 15 years and this other one that my brother and i have started together we've been doing this but now five six years dan uh so i think this is our oh you mean the league yes the league is actually eight years now eight years now so yes time flying um, but we love to do this and we'd love to have you know like everybody else we have our friends that we want to compete against and we'd like to win money too yeah, it's, I mean, like like Ruxin says in the league, it's fantasy football is about showing that you are better than your friends. That's that's always been my mantra. Always continue to will be. Uh, we don't have a ton of wide receiver news in it of itself. We didn't really get to talk yesterday about the uh, 49er news about Brock. We knew Brock Purdy was going to be a starter, but Sam Darnold being the second string quarterback and Trey Lance by default is going to be the third string. Oh boy. 49ers exploring all options which uh, to me only means one thing, which is he's going to be the third string quarterback on the 49ers bench because there's no way they get anything of value for him. I, Chris, what do you make of this whole situation? This is insane. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, we like to call our shots on this show. and We do our fantasy, no, no, do, you know, fantasy. We also do our draft show. And we warned you, MD Nation, that Trey Lance was a bust waiting to happen. And here we are a couple years later, and it has been proven true. Even bust of all bust, Sam Darnold has now beat him out for the number two position. Um, Trey Lance has no market, Dan. We've heard this last year, too. And I think if the 49ers would have had a market, they would have moved on from him. Um, you don't want to necessarily sit on a guy you spent all that draft capital on and have him sit on your third string. Plus, you have to possibly pay him about $10 million next year. So I think the 49ers are dying to get rid of him. But to your point, uh, John Lynch also came out and commented today. It looks like there's a good chance that Trey Lance is going to probably stay on the roster. Yeah, because nobody wants him. Yeah, you think? Oh, that would actually it would be help if I had That's volume. Terrible. Yeah, it's it's just it's an awful, awful, awful situation. I mean, just 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 terrible in every situation, and yet. Here's the thing that's crazy about the 49ers that because they have gone to NFC Conference Championships last two years in a row, they've been a good team. 
Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch might be the first coach and GM in history to make a move like that catastrophically bad on the NFL history scales. It's all the way up there. And yet nothing's really going to come of it because, well, the team got lucky and it still wins. It's an insane situation when you think about it from that perspective. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at it, uh, basically a GM and a coach that's got a gigantic mulligan. Usually this costs somebody their job and heads are going to roll when you blow a first rounder and three first rounders after that. Uh, the 49ers are a team that has been trying to compete for Super Bowls, and that's a lot to give up for a guy who's playing third right now in your quarterback position. Oh, water sucks. It really, really sucks. Water sucks. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Now, as some of you may know, you've been following the show for a long period of time. I am a 49ers fan, so this one hit close to home. But I predicted before the training camera, I'm really going back to March, that Trey Lance would be the third-string quarterback. Caught all kinds of flack from it, from everybody in 49er fandom. And I'm just here to say that kindly... I told you so. I know it's supposed to be better than that as an object, as uh, as an analyst. You know, you're not supposed to rise above, but there's some situations where you just you need to get that. I told you so. In I'm sorry, just 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 do. Uh, but yeah, so Brock Purdy will be the quarterback of the 49ers. Sam Darnold will be back and up, and we'll have to see exactly how all of that plays out. But today we are talking about wide receivers. So Chris, let's get into a conversation about who our top five guys are this year because our list is a little bit different. So we have our best five and, you know, when you get to a top five receiver, we have, I don't know, Chris, I don't know about you, but for me, I have an elite tier seven. So it was hard for me to put together a top five necessarily, but, you know, doing the best we can here. As, as always, we're doing projections and rankings. You st- everyone wants to know who the top five is to go after. So I want to know who your top five is. Let's discuss that. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, I think there's a top seven that you get any of these guys, you're going to be happy. I think you're kind of nitpicking when you're trying to pick out who's the best. Um, a lot of times you're going to hear people kind of more the flavor of the month in a sense or the guy who's been the hottest or young guys particularly. So you saw a lot of those guys climb up the board this year. Um, my number one is the good old old school Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is my number one receiver. He's supposed to be healthy coming into week one. Matthew Stafford's also healthy. So you put those two things together and you have magic. Um, he's, Cooper he's Cup, you know. Now. Let's be clear. And Stafford, that is. Stafford's healthy for now. <laughs> well, I mean, you could say that for a lot of different people. I think the, the situation is we haven't heard anything like we had the past two years coming out of Rams camp about Matthew Stafford, his elbow, any kind of pain tolerance, any kind of limiting him. I've heard nothing but positive things coming out of Rams camp. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we talk to you, we'll talk about some of our sleepers, but I think some of the guys that we really like, um, you know, you're looking at a quarterback that is – can stand to lose a little bit of arm strength and still be successful. So I think Matthew Stafford, as long as he can kind of hold up his back wise at Cooper cup is money in the bank. Um, this guy was basically a five of nine games that he played last year. It hit over hundred yards. So you're basically guaranteed you're going to get half the time. At least that he's going to get you a hundred yards, if not a touchdown. Um, and then you quite possibly usually both. And then you look back at, you know, the historic year that he had 2021, you know, he was just an absolute beast. And there's no reason he can't approach what he did before. We know Matthew Stafford has shown a tendency in the past to lock on a guy, and he will feed you the ball come hell or high water. That's why Kenny Galladay got paid for New York, and then we saw how that kind of worked out for him. So Cooper Cup, to me, as long as he has a leg and Matthew Stafford has an arm, I'm, he's my number one guy. 
I can't dispute it, and I don't hate it. I did a video on our TikTok page, the MDFF show, give it a follow, where I talked about why Cooper Cup, why isn't he being talked about more as a number one option? I did that show with Laquan Jones over there at NFL Network, and uh, not that I have him number one, but I did feel like it was a little bit disrespectful. He's not getting talked about in that scenario as much, and I don't care about the hamstring injury. The reason I don't have him number one is because, again, I don't trust Matthew Stafford to stay healthy for a full 17-game season, and he is is getting over 30 that hamstring injury while it's not a problem now could possibly pop up again later on this season it just it makes me feel icky enough to where when i'm looking for tiebreakers with a group this close it's always a little further down the list for me but go ahead who's your number two yes yeah, so my number two is also going to be an old school guy so it's going to be somebody you're going to probably not because he's not the newest youngest guy but he does it year in year out and successful not Devontae adams Listen, Devontae Adams, I've heard, you know, we, we thought that when he moved to the Raiders last year, he proved to you that he could play with any quarterback. He didn't need Aaron Rodgers per se. He was successful in Green Bay with Tim Boyle, with Brett Hudley. It didn't matter who Green Bay paid a quarterback. As long as Devontae Adams was out there, he was scoring touchdowns and he was putting up points. Well, Jimmy G's not a bum. And I know everybody wants to compare Derek Carr, Jimmy G, and somehow Derek Carr was like this incredible, you know, pushing the ball down the field guy, and Jimmy G can't do anything like that. Devontae Adams played when Aaron Rodgers was sucking and when he was good. It didn't matter if they were aggressive, if they were keen, they're trying to control the ball. Devontae Adams produces coming off a 14-touchdown 14, 14 game a season last year, over 1,400 yards. I'm going with Devontae Adams until I'm showing otherwise. Ooh-wee, woo-wee. Chris going with the old men at the top. Devontae Adams didn't finish as number two receiver last year, but mm. – this is not last year vibes here. Now, while I don't subscribe to the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo is necessarily a downgrade from Derek Carr, I do recognize he's a hell of a lot less durable. And I, I know that he's been successful with other quarterbacks in the past. Maybe Aiden O'Connell with the success he's had in preseason shows that he could be more successful in the regular season. Hopefully, they would call upon him first before a Brian Hoyer type. That would be the big key for me there. But Devontae Adams is also in a situation where I don't think he's that happy. And for a guy in his stature to not be that happy who does have a tendency to pick up calf issues here and there, I'm just a little afraid we get to a point in the season where he decides, you know what, I pulled up a little tight this week. I don't know if I'm fighting to get back. And that's why Adams, I'll, I'll just say where he is on my list because he's not in my top five. That's why I have him at number seven. Again, I'm looking for tiebreakers in that top seven tier. That's kind of what does it for me. So you're a little more ballsy than I am in that approach. Yeah, and I think that, Dan, if that does happen, we just saw Corey Davis retire yesterday. That opens another $10 million to the Jets in their books. Oh, Guess where Devontae Adams will be really soon if he's complaining and was out of the Raiders. Not allowed, okay? Wrong. Wrong answer. Why is that the wrong answer? Because I cannot have Garrett Wilson getting ruined with, him, with Devontae Adams getting added to that team. Uh, we got a question coming in here from uh, Dylan McKee. 14-team league got offered Brandon Ayuk for James Cook. Judy was top two wide receiver, but now out. We are going to talk about Jerry Judy later in the show. I already planned him in his outline. And I have Bijan and Josh Jacobs at the running back position. So he's pretty much asking a 14-T league where he has Bijan and Josh Jacobs. So you go get Bran Ayuk for James Cook. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger on this deal. I think Bran Ayuk is going to be the number one receiver of the 49ers this year. Um, you know, the cat of the bag guys, one of my sleeper guys. I think Brandon Ayuk's value 
is a lot down farther down people realize it is this guy was dominant towards the end of the season he was a receiver one through the last six weeks of the year um i think that that's with christian mccaffrey so i don't want to hear you know christian mccaffrey being involved george kittle was involved i know diva wasn't in shape but brandon you a baller coming going into a free agent year next year well one way or another brandon is a superstar i think in this league and i like james cook i just wonder if he's ever going to be at all down back I don't think there's, for me, it's not even a dispute in a sense. I think Brandon Ayuk's the guy to go with. In a 14 team league, it gets tough with that, with the depth. But being that you have Bijan and Josh Jacobs, look, regardless of what's happening here, Jacobs is going to have to suit up and play. At least I think he's going to have to suit up and play at some point this year. I'd pull the trigger on that myself as well. Uh, Chris, go ahead and continue. Who's your number three in your top five? Yeah, so I'm not trying to go all old school. I'm just kind of mixing up the board a little bit. And I will go, uh, you know, Jefferson. I, this guy's number one on most people's boards. I understand why he was really successful last year. I question the touchdown potential being consistent as some of the other guys. I like Devonte Adams. Why I have him ahead? Um, you know, I also wonder with having an actual good receiver and Jordan Addison. They spent some draft capital on. I don't like this Vikings offense and their vibe. I feel like last year they kind of caught people off guard when they're supposed to be falling down and you know played really well. This year, this offense is expected to be good. And I don't know how good it's really going to be. I think this offensive line is going to be challenged. And overall, I know Jefferson's going to still going to be a dominant guy, but he was a little bit, you know, streaky last year where he had some huge games and then he had some okay games. He didn't score a lot of touchdowns, and that's my biggest concern. That's why I have number three. Chris finally mentioned a wide receiver that actually belongs in the top three. Good, Chris. <laughs> well, we'll see at the end of the year because people like to talk their junk now, but we'll see when that actually comes to, and a push comes I, to I shove. Remember, and I, will give, well, I was talking junk when Jeff, I had Jefferson number one last year and you told me I was crazy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yes. Um, I don't. I don't know why I was ever down on Jefferson last year, but I, I, I guess were. I'll I go with it. Yeah, I had him as number one, and you said there's he shouldn't be number one. That's all I'm pointing out. That's all. I'm just being well, Super Cup is coming off almost a 2,000-yard year. It's kind of hard just to be like, yeah. You got to get ahead of the curve. <laughs> we'll talk about that in my top well, five. If we knew Cooper Cup was going to get hurt, then and Matthew Stafford was going to be done That's by the week, what, six, seven, I would have known. My part of my, not Cup necessarily, part of my assessment was Stafford saying healthy. But go ahead, go, go to your number four. We got to get through this. Uh, yeah, so my number four receiver, I'm going to go with, you know, another tested but true guy with Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is, is one of those guys who's just going to be a baller year in, year out. I don't think Stephen A. Smith has a clue what he's talking about with going on with him in Buffalo. Stefan Diggs' contract is almost untradeable, so he's going nowhere. Him and Josh Allen were humming the other day in practice when the news came out. They've been nothing but connected all summer long. This isn't going to change. You have some different mouths to feed. You know, I'm going to hear about Dalton Kincaid. I'm going to hear about you know some of the different guys who are getting more involved in the passing attack with James Cook, for example. I'm not worried. We know Stefan Diggs is going to get his targets. He cried this over the summer. Usually the Divas get the ball when they cry. And I'm excited for Stefan Diggs and the opportunity what he can do week in, week out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one spot. I'll just give it away. I'm one spot ahead of you on Diggs. I have him at wide receiver three. Not the A.J. Peck yet. Still only 29 years old. He's gotten a, over 150 targets every single year. He's been a Buffalo Bill. Very consistent in that department. I don't I don't see Don Kincaid as somebody who's taking away targets from a Stephon Diggs. I don't think that goes down. And here's the big key for me when it comes to talking about Diggs in the top five and why he needs to be there. His efficiency went down. 
Okay, he had a seven point eight. He had a nine point three to a seven point eight. I that changes at all this year because somewhere in the middle. That's all he has to do is get somewhere in the middle of that, which is more capable of doing. We're going to see Stephon Diggs as another top five receiver again this year. I'm with you on that. And you see a little more accuracy. Josh Allen was really down on his accuracy last year, so I think this is something that actually could improve too. Josh Allen wasn't as bad, you know, the year before. Last year, he really struggled some of the mid-range throws with Stephon Diggs' feasts on. So I agree with you, Dan. I think they're going to see some regression to the norm. Round it out for him. My final five. My number five is Jamar Chase. I love Jamar Chase. I think he's a baller. I'm, I I build my fantasy team, and this is why I kind of stuck with some of the older school guys, both you know the football for the running backs and the receivers with winning in week out. And it's important for me to have a roster that I have consistent guys who I can bank on. Jamar Chase is an awesome superstar, but last year at four out of 12 games is when he went over 100 yards. It's not that he's like money in the bank. There is T. Higgins. There are different guys in Cincinnati. I know the offensive line's improved. I actually think that might change some things for the, for the, <clears throat> sorry, um, that might change some things for the Bengals where I know everybody thinks they're going to go out there and let up, you know, 30, 40 points a game. They can control the ball a bit more so this year. They're not going to have to sit there and be in shotgun all the time. I do wonder if they kind of, you know, Step it off the trick, step off the pedal a little bit, and they don't necessarily, you know, score 35 points a game because they really don't have to. His defense is pretty good. So overall, I love Jamar Chase. I'm just not thinking he's as good as some of the other guys I have above him. Could not disagree more. First of all, Jamar Chase is my number one. Jamar Chase is my number one wide receiver. So that tells you where I'm at. Again, I'm getting ahead of the curve. Not consistent. Not the guy every week. What are you, out of your mind? His 17-game pace last year was 190 targets. He was the number one target in the red zone last year. Their secondary is terrible. This team unleashed Joe Burrow, and that is the identity of the offense moving forward. The offensive line does help him get those bigger plays available to him. Couldn't disagree more on every level. And Jamar Chase, my number one guy. Go ahead. Four games over 100 yards out of 12. For the guy who's so consistent, four games out of 12 games to go over 100 yards. And the explanation for that is watching his, again, his yards per target decrease from 11.4 his rookie year to 7.8. Part of that is how teams were playing them last year. I definitely think the play calling and Joe Burrow and, and Jarmar Chase and all their skill sets is more than enough to overcome to recorrect that course this season. And as long as he didn't get hurt, he would have tied Devontae Adams last year for the number two wide receiver with the pace that he was on last Last year, so I couldn't disagree with you more. And you talked about Matthew Stafford being hurt right now. Jamar Chase's quarterback still is hurt, and so I see otherwise as well. Throws baggy. No, 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 no. This is I'm waiting for a contract extension, and I don't care. When's the last time Burrow actually practiced in training camp? Has it mattered? No, not at all. He started off slow before he does. He did. He's a rhythm thrower, so it can affect him. But we'll see. Okay. Okay. Well, I just gave Jamar Chase. He was my number one guy. My number two guy as a result is Justin Jefferson. I see no reason why he slows down. The addition of Jordan Addison, I think, actually helps because maybe for once, defenders will not be able to just cue in on only Justin Jefferson. It will actually be able to take some safety help away. I think this will help him. I don't see this Minnesota offense trending off at all, especially given their schedule this year. It's actually pretty juicy considering they were a first place team uh, last year. 
the added weapons and TJ Hawkinson being there, I also don't care. I think it does nothing but help his efficiency. And that's why I'm on Justin Jefferson as my number two. I already talked about Stephon Diggs being my number three. Tyreek Hill, who I'm surprised was not in your top five. Tyreek Hill is my number four guy heading into this year. Had the most targets in his career. I definitely was not projecting that last year. I did not think he was going to go from a Holmes to a tackle of and get the most targets he's ever had in his career. That was pretty impressive. Now, I'm not buying into the idea that, you know, Tyreek Hill, he says he wants to go for 2000 yards. That's nice. It's good to have goals. I don't see that actually happening this season. I do still worry to some degree about Tua being able to stay healthy. But Tyreek Hill showed that even when Tua wasn't out there, he was safe. Maybe Jalen Waddle wasn't safe, but Tyreek Hill was safe on a per-game basis. Maybe not top five elite, but top eight, and even without Tua. So as long as Tua can play most of the season, I think Tyreek Hill will definitely be a top five guy. And then I round that out with Cooper Cup. Again, I kind of talked about that a little bit when you brought him up. I'm looking for tiebreakers among this crew, and I struggle with Matthew Stafford staying healthy. Go ahead. You get a rebuttal. No, I don't have a strong one. Look, I loved Harry Kill, and it was a real debate for me whether to keep him off the list. I I actually have, like, I couldn't, you know, cheat in this in a sense. I have him ranked parallel with Chase Diggs and Hill. I think those three guys, you're, you're happy with whatever one falls to you on the board. I agree with you that Tyreek Hill is going to be fed regardless of who the quarterback is with a lot of these guys. And I think that's the key to these guys that, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, they've all been successful. Maybe they're not necessarily all top five guys with the backup quarterbacks, but all of them have put up numbers with backup quarterbacks. Um, I love Tyreek Hill. I do think he can close to the 2,000-yard mark. One of the things that you saw for him, you know, with Tua is there's a natural connection. They do game plan a lot for him. It's hard to take Tyreek Hill away. The only thing I don't think helps him is what you keep beating the drum on about guys getting hurt. Tyreek Hill usually fall, has some kind of soft tissue injury at some point, whether it's a groin, whether it's a hamstring, and that's his speed, and that's what he kind of lives off right now. So I, that's the only reason I think he can necessarily get to those 2,000 yards, and I think that, you know, for me, it was hard keeping off the top five. Yeah, but except with the exception of the other guys, though, Tyreek Hill's only missed one game in the last three years. So I'm not, I'm not viewing. He's not in the same category as a Cooper Cup as some of these other guys go, as far as that in, in my terms. Uh, let's go ahead though and jump into our pitfall. <laughs> Okay, so these are the guys that we might have to avoid in our drafts. Now, I want to I want to start off with this guy because he was in the news today. Got a hamstring injury, Jerry Judy, and so Judy's obviously he's going to get knocked down now. I already had him on this outlines. So I wanted to talk about him anyway. He's going to get knocked down in drafts, fine, whatever. But it was more so I wanted to bring up Judy to make the point about why I already had Cortland Sutton ranked ahead of him. And that it was drastically lower on Jerry Judy to begin with. I had him at wide receiver 35 leading into today, and it will probably be updated after this weekend. His ADP was wide receiver 23. So I have a significant gap for where I view Jerry Judy and where the public seems to view Jerry Judy. In fact, ECR, even from the other experts, they have him at wide receiver 21. So I'm way in the back here. And the, the fact is this, his target share has been... Pretty even. In fact, Cortland Sutton actually is as out targeted him on a per game basis last year, believe it or not. 21.6% team target share to Jerry Judy's 19.6%. I Judy obviously was more efficient last year, and that's why he wound up being the better fantasy play. But it does go to show you that even last year, before Sean Payton showed up, who does a great job of getting the X receiver featured, that he was already kind of leading the way a little bit. There was already rapport there. And that's the point, though. 
with, with Sean Payton, the X receiver, the Marquise Colson, the Michael Thomas. These are the guys that he features in his offense. And from all reports during the entire training camp leading up to this point, even before Jerry Judy got injured, was that Cortland Sutton was emerging as Russell Wilson's favorite target, not Judy within this offense. So I was already having Cortland Sutton. I had him, I think, one spot ahead. I think I'm a wide receiver 34 but I already had Judy way down on my list. Now, obviously, we don't know when he's going to come back. The report is several weeks. The average timeline typically is four to six weeks. We'll talk to Brian Scott at some point, get a more definitive timetable. But I was already out on Judy. Chris, what are you making of this Broncos situation? Well, I wasn't out on Judy, but I do think that, you know, I thought both of them can could eat as long as Russ isn't a terrible bum again like he was last year. Uh, I absolutely think Cortland Sutton is the alpha, though. I think he fits what you talked about, you know, Sean Payton looks for in his system. We also see Russell Wilson tends to look for the bigger, taller receivers when, you know, crunch time. So and there has been a natural connection between the two, uh, both going to last year and this year. While there has been issues between Judy and Russell Wilson and them getting on the same page. It's not necessarily Jerry Judy's, you know, one of the better route runners. I think we both agree with that. But Russell Wilson and him don't necessarily have the same timing or expectations. And that was something that wasn't clicking as much over the summer as it definitely was with Cortland Sutton. So I think this is going to hurt Jerry Judy. I think this hurts, you know, Russell Wilson and Denver in general. They're just dropping receivers left and right. It's a miracle how we thought going into this season they had so many receivers and why they take a Marvin Mims as a second-round pick. Well, now we see why because Trump Aitman's had a crystal ball realizing all his guys are going to start dropping like flies. Yeah, he's got to be thinking, thank God they took Marvin Mims, one of their picks. By the way, move up Marvin Mims on your boards. He's going to have a nice role in the beginning of the season. Another one of my guys, and we'll just go into this, is a, another guy that I put in this outline that I wanted to talk about regardless, so I left him in here. But, of course, he also picked up an injury. And this is Jackson Smith and Jigba who hurts his wrist. We don't know if he's going to be available week one or not, but already somebody who I was significantly lower on even before the injury. His ADP of wide receiver 36 blows my mind. I had him at wide receiver 53. So it shows you the drastic dip here. First of all, he's a rookie wide receiver who has to work his way into an offense that never has featured a third wide receiver. Chris, you want to know the last time a third receiver on the Seattle Seahawks had even 50 targets on the team? It was Paul Richardson in 2017. That was the last guy who had 50 targets as a third receiver on the team. Now, yes, Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than Paul Richardson and probably would be a little bit more involved. But this offense is always focusing on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And Tyler Lockett being the key here. The guy who goes inside and outside. I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to carve up a consistent role I you might have some pop games here and there but it certainly was not going to be a consistent role within this offense and if you're going to draft him as your wide receiver 36 you're telling me that if you play in these typical PPR three receiver start leagues you're going to play him in your starting lineup every single week it blows my mind where are you on on that yeah you have one of the guys that was on my list that I think is one of those pitfalls I 100% agree with you, Dan. I think this is a matter of people get excited about guys coming as rookies and they can't wait till this guy's going to be a pro and they think they're going to you know, jump on them and show everybody how smart they are. We've seen this kind of blow people's faces. You know, Yesterday's show, we talked about James Cook and how many people were beating the drum about James Cook being a superstar and what he was going to do in Buffalo and probably weren't so happy with how hot they drafted him last year. Well, Jackson Smith and Jacob was in the same position. Look, I think Geno Smith can feed two guys, maybe half another guy, but we saw people like Noah Fant basically get phased out of the offense. We've been praying Noah Fant get a chance to be involved with somewhere. It didn't happen in Seattle last year. 
the running backs are going to be involved in passing attack too. Zach Charbonnet is a good pass catcher. So when you look at this offense in general, it's not, it's going to use two tight end sets as well. They like to have some Will Desley out there. They like to have Parkinson out there who block. Um, I, I don't think there was a huge path other than there was an injury, and you're basically banking on that. Maybe Ty Lockett or DK Metcalf goes down. Jackson Smith Jacob could be a superstar in that case for you, you know, fantasy wise. But if one of those guys don't get hurt, and they didn't last year, well, severely. Um, then you know you're sitting there with 36 pick, your 36 receiver, like you said, and wondering why did I do that? I, I, now, now, of course, because of the injury, he's probably going to come back down to where I have him ranked around that 50 area. But guess what? I'm going to be bringing him down a little bit further due to the injury myself. Anyway, uh, my last pitfall guy that we'll talk about for this show is Calvin Ridley, another guy who's just being drafted at his ceiling. I get, I like Calvin Ridley. I was a big fan of Calvin Ridley's, but he's missing practically two years of football. And you're telling me you're going to come out of the gate and draft him as your wide receiver 17? Because that's what his ADP is right now. That's a lot of balls. Where's my, where's my bold drop? That is a... Phew. That's a bold statement. Th- that's no fear. We watch guys in the NFL miss time all the time. And when they come back, they're always rusty. I don't care what position you play. Yes, Deshaun Watson is a quarterback. It's a different scenario. I get that, but it still matters. This is still a top five guy at his position who missed time and was not the same player when he returned. Calvin Ridley's looked great in training camp. He's that that's fantastic. I hope he comes out and I hope he's very good this season. But to bet on that, because that's what you're doing. If you're drafting a guy to top 24, you are betting on the idea that this guy is going to be a wide receiver two in your lineup each and every week. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it, man. One, it's been a, a season and three quarters. Exactly. Ridley's turning 29. So he's on the older side, not quite the age apex, but he ain't no spring chicken either. When he was out there, it was, he had almost 10 targets a game for the Atlanta Falcons. That's great. Fantastic. 62% cash percentage. But the deal is now he's got to deal with Christian Kirk. He's got to deal with Evan Ingram. You have Zay Jones, who is no schlub last year in his own right. And we're still trying to beg for targets to go to the running backs. Whether that happens or not, we'll have to see. But it should be. I don't see how this is a scenario where you can draft Calvin Ridley. I got him ranked at wide receiver 30. I couldn't be more opposite on you in this one. I'm not taking Calvin Ridley at number 17. There you go. Go ahead. I'm not taking Calvin Ridley number 17. I think he's won a receiver one this year. And I will be ballsy with that because I look at a guy who, yes, Dan, he was out for the last two years. And it's usually you don't hear about guys making an easy transition, except for everything this summer, every inner squad, every practice. All you heard was how awesome Calvin Ridley was from his own team, from the coaches and from the opposing team. I have not heard anything about Calvin Ridley losing his speed, not looking as quick. I've heard quite the opposite. I look like he's going to be ridiculous. And you're a huge Trevor Lawrence fan, and I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have this kind of breakout year this year. If that offense is going to take the next you know, step, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to help him bring him along as well. Calvin Ridley is going to be his number one receiver he's going to look for. I love the matching with the Peterson as the coach, as a guy that he loves to kind of utilize. You saw Christian Kirk be very effective. We weren't shocked with that. A lot of people were with, you know, how's he getting $20 million? He shouldn't get $20 million, but I will say Doug Peterson knows how to use those type of receivers. Um, I know Christian Kirk's going to be involved. I know Evan Ingram's going to be involved. I know Zay Jones is going to be involved. I watched Calvin Ridley play with Julio Jones and was still getting himself 
targets. So those guys won't even hold a jock to Julio Jones. To me, Calvin Ridley is this receiver one on this team. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be naming the ball week in, week out. But it was only Julio Jones. You could still isolate the targets between two guys. That's the point. There's four or five guys who are going to be sharing the ball within this offense. Doug Peterson, who's known for being a guy who calls plays to distribute it to a multi-facet of guys. Calvin Ridley's not going to get nine targets a game. It's going to be more like seven to eight, six to seven, somewhere in that range. That is not wide receiver 17 material. Maybe when he knocks the rust off in the second half of the season, maybe, but there's no way in hell I'm drafting a guy there. Uh, I can't, like I said, I can't disagree more. I think that, you know, we, we, yesterday's show, we talked about some of, you know, sticking to your guns and you have Bijan Robinson as your number one running back. And, you know, it was a matter of sticking to your guns and being ahead of somebody else. And this is what you believe. Calvin Ridley to me is a receiver one this year. Well, we'll have to see about that. Chris, go ahead and give me your pitfalls. Yeah, so I think you stole some of my ones that I definitely agree with. And I'm going to kind of continue that I let the cat out of the bag a little bit earlier. Uh, Debo Samuel should not be going before Brandon Ayuk. Debo Samuel is not going to be what you hope he's going to be. And that's what's the shame part of it for him in a sense is Debo Samuel could be a monster when you feature him and you figure out how to keep him involved. Well, guess what? Kyle Shanahan doesn't have to figure that out anymore. He's got Brandon Ayuk. He's got George Kittle. And the biggest part is he's got Christian McCaffrey. I worry for Debo Samuel. If you don't scheme him up something, he hasn't shown you that he can beat press coverage consistently. He hasn't shown you that he consistently can get down the field. What he shows you is big playability and ability to break tackles. Usually some of his passing opportunities are usually funneled to him. This team's not going to have to do that for him. Brock Purdy's not going to have to necessarily involve him. Brock Purdy likes that middle of that field. Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle will be sitting there. I don't think Debo Samuel's worth the draft capital this year. So I, I do have Debo Samuel ranked ahead of Brandon Ayuk. I don't fight this strongly because I, in my heart of hearts, I want to rank Brandon Ayuk ahead of Debo Samuel because I do think he's set up in a situation to pop this year, to take that even next step and be, become a superstar. I'm not going to argue with you there. My thing with Debo is that Kyle Shanahan loves to utilize him in certain situations, loves to feature him in certain situations, especially when it comes to zone defenses, which teams play more zone than they do man. Brandon Ayuk always dominates in the man. Debo Samuel always gets the ball over the field in zone. And being that he took the fat suit off, if that could lead to him, with the big struggle with him, right, is injury. That could lead to him actually staying healthy, which the last time he did that in 2019, he was heavily utilized, especially over the middle of the field. And when I look at Brock Purdy, I see a quarterback who's not going to hit the outside of the field very often. He's going to attack the middle of the field over and over and over again. Debo will play that area of the field more so than Brian Ayuk. Brian Ayuk is in my top 24. He's on my wide receiver 22 right now. But Debo Samuel is still my wide receiver 18. I have to give him a slight edge because the workload goes his way. And even with all this Christian McCaffrey talk and everybody's saying, like, well, Debo's not going to get the carries again. He still averaged three carries a game, even with Christian McCaffrey out there, which is what he was doing, by the way, on a per-game basis before Christian McCaffrey was there. I don't think people realize that. So I'm not worried about him getting in a multifaceted role either. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about what people are going to do, Brock Purdy did play with Brandon Ayuk last year. He did end the season with Brandon Ayuk, and Brandon Ayuk was pretty good towards the last six games of the season. So... I don't think this is necessarily Debo is going to be the guy who's number one. Brandon Ayuk can get the ball, has been involved. And like I said, I don't think there's going to need necessarily to involve Debo the same way 
as the rest of these guys. Yeah, the key to that is context. Debo Samuel was not out there playing, so Brandon Ayuk became that featured number one receiver. Plays a big difference. It's also a big reason why George Kittle had the run that he did during that time frame because Debo Samuel was out. When they're all in the field, Debo still out-targeted Brandon Ayuk even when Brock Purdy was playing. It was a very small sample size, but that was still the case. So that's why context for me, a lot of people throw that argument out in context for me on that one. No, I can understand that. I just think it's hard for, like you said, you know, that was well, maybe a game, half a game where they played together when they out targeted them. Um, but I think overall, Brandon, you showed you something. And once again, I'm going to go with what I've heard over the summer. You've heard nothing but wonderful things out of camp for 49ers. The quarterback thing has been really interesting, but the one guy who shined out above all, despite you no know, evil getting out of the fat suit, has been Brandon Ayuk. Do you have another one for me? Yeah. Um, so I think you took one of the guys. You said Jackson Smith to Jigla. I definitely think I agree with that one. That's one that, you know, I just, I think the draft capital is way too high. And I'll give you another one very similar George Pickens. Um, this is like fantasy people want to make something happen from the year before. They want to like beat the drum that they were, they weren't wrong. They're going to be right now. George Pickens is a highlight machine. And I know that we've heard a lot about him improving his route running. And I think that could definitely have happened. I think uh, Ryan Clark's been, you know, smoking some crack in the sense of when he's trying to say that Jefferson and George Pickens are on the same, you know, page in the sense physically. Um, I just think that was an asinine statement, but I do think George Pickens is a very physical, you know, athletic, gifted guy. But we've heard this coming out of the draft. We heard this last year, and all I keep seeing is that you have a noodled arm quarterback in Kenny Pickett that you're expecting to consistently target. George Pickens, when he has Deontay Johnson, when he has a Pat Barmuth, when he has a Najee Harris and a Jalen Warren, I don't see where George Pickens is going to be the alpha in his, his target chair, and that that's not going to happen for him. I don't see the draft capital being close to what he's going at. Yeah, so uh, what is his ADP again? I don't have it off the top of my head. I think he's going right around with Jackson to Jigba, like that uh, mid, like the twenty, uh, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, so I have hold on one second here. I have I have George Pickens ranked wide receiver. Uh I just had it in front of me 37. I 36, excuse me. I have I'm right aware they're 36, which is by the way, that's, that's where he finished last season, despite not getting all the touchdowns, despite the offenses, the Steelers being absolutely terrible. And while I'm not the subscriber to this idea that Kenny Pickett's somehow gonna become a superstar, as some of the narrative around there would have you believe. I do think it has to be better than what it was last season. I'm still trying to find exactly. Uh, it's not going to come up. All right, whatever. Um, if you go around wide receiver 28, that's the territory of a Christian Watson, uh, Deontay Johnson himself. Christian Kirk is kind of in that area. Mike Williams is in that area. I do have George Pickens, obviously at wide receiver 36. I have him a tier below those guys, but I am okay with taking a shot on a guy who, you want to talk about guys who've been lighting up in camp? George Pickens, once again, for the second year in a row, has got nothing but raving reviews of how he's lighting it up and how he's been taking the next step in camp himself. He is a big play guy. I see no reason why he can't be a touchdown guy. And obviously, things on the Steelers all around, as far as scoring touchdowns, has to get better, despite Matt Canada being a terrible offensive coordinator. So I'm not as down as you are, but I am with you on the fact that I think he is getting drafted a little bit too high. 
the names that you just stated have shown you that they can be productive. They've been consistently productive. To me, it's not even debate. You can sit there and try to take a chance on George Pickens. And Dan, I don't disagree with you. Touchdowns have to get more. But guess what? Deontay Johnson had zero. Um, Pat Vermouth had two. So when you put those numbers together, how much is really left open for George Pickens to kind of catch now? I agree with you that there's going to be some you know, regression to the norm, hopefully, for, for this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. But I still have some questions, even if it kind of improves, it, is it really going to be enough for him to compete with those guys you named? Well, I look at it this way, Chris. I have Gabe Davis and George Pickens ranked back-to-back. I have Gabe Davis at wide receiver 35, George Pickens at wide receiver 36. I kind of view them as the same player. When we get in that ninth, 10th round area, I'm taking a shot on one of those guys because one of them has a decent chance to pop off because the talent is just there. But I'm not going to take him as a guy who needs to be a staple in my starting lineup. From that standpoint, I am with you. I don't have anything else to add. Well, I think to me that's another one. I, I, I mean, we've talked about Gabe Davis all off, all off season. We're not as down as everybody else is in him. I think that the big difference for me is Josh Allen is throwing Gabe Davis the the ball, and we also look at the rest of the mouths to feed on that Buffalo offense. Gabe Davis is clearly number two in that offense. I don't know if that's necessarily the clear cut for George Pickens. No, that part I disagree with you. I think George Pickens is the number two target as far as the Steelers are concerned behind Deontay Johnson. Pat Fryermuth, I love him. I still think he comes in three. Najee Harris will get involved. I do think George Pickens is number two behind that. Well, I mean, I, I like to see that because I didn't see that last year. I, I, what I heard a lot was a lot of squeaky wheel out of George Pickens being frustrated, not getting the ball, not being involved. And what I do see is like Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth being the first two reads. Uh, George Pickens tied on a per game basis with Pat Fryermuth on targets last season. Being the second re- year receiver, uh, I do think he takes the next step up. But let's go ahead and get into our sleepers. <laughs> So now we're going the opposite direction. Now we're going with guys that we think can help win you your leagues that you are overlooking or the ECR is overlooking, wherever the case may be. So let's talk about those guys. Chris, I'm going to kick it to you first. Give me some of your sleepers. Well, you kind of hit on one earlier when you were talking about a guy who's going to be better than Jerry Judy, and that's Cortland Sutton. Uh, like I said, we've talked about, you know, we've heard nothing but good things coming out of camp all season, including last year as well. Cortland Sutton wasn't as productive as you hoped last year. But talk about some regression due. This Denver offense cannot be as bad as it was last year. Cortland Sutton is the alpha receiver in this target and might be on the left guy left standing by, you know, by the time the season starts. Um, he's going to be a guy that Sean Payton knows how to utilize. He, you know, he's been challenging all summer about getting back to 2019 Cortland Sutton. Everything I'm hearing Cortland Sutton took that serious. You know, they've been watching about Michael Thomas tapes. I see a lot of comparisons as players as well. Cortland Sutton's a guy that can use his body, can get down the field. I like Cortland Sutton a lot especially when you talk about some other guys going ahead of him. I like it a lot. Yeah, you're, you're going to get no argument out of me, especially as a guy who has him ranked at wide receiver 34 right now. Uh, and with, especially with Jerry Judy injury, I think it just kind of reinforces that, that Cortland Sutton is somebody who should be looked at and they've been featuring in the offense. I would not shy away from him just because you've been burned. I don't really shy away from guys because you've been burned in the past as long as our situation's set up for them to be productive again this year. So I'm with you on Cortland Sutton. What else you got? Well, maybe a little bit my way farther down than even Cortland Sutton's on the board. And this guy's somehow gotten forgotten about all summer, despite shining out in camp, like I keep talking about, and also preseason. Romeo Dobbs is Jordan Love's primary target. And I don't understand how you can look at, like, a Jaden Reed as a rookie who's going to play some slot receiver when they have five tight ends on their team. 
and you're taking him over Romeo Dobbs, who has an obvious connection that's all you've heard about. You've seen it on the field for your own eyes. So Romeo Dobbs, to me, is an absolute steal and just something that I am not understanding what fantasy people are doing right now. Let's put it, let's put, let's put it this way, Chris, because we talked about this earlier. There's no way in hell Romeo Dobbs should be below Jackson Smith and Jigba with the target share that he's gonna work, he's gonna walk into this year. 100 percent There's another reason why I'm not on guys like that. I'd rather have guys who are in situations that are with big bigger target shares, even if maybe the offense is maybe not going to be quite as good. Although with the Packers, they're a wild card. They could be just as good as Seattle offensively this year. For all we know, if Jordan Love can actually put some things together, they do have some explosive weapons on there. And I'm with you. I don't buy into this. Jaden Reed is going to overtake Romeo. Jaden Reed's a slot receiver. That That's what he is. Romeo Dobbs is the guy who can play inside, outside. And I think just because he's a fourth round pick, people seem to hate on the idea that he could be anything more than what he was last season. We talk about all the time wide receivers taking another leap in their year two. And I see a guy who has all the tools. I'm with you. I don't get it. He's a big reason why I'm not as high on Christian Watson as most people. Uh, I have Christian Watson dangling around it. Like I said, a wide receiver 20, 27 for me right now. Most people have him inside the top 24 because I don't think he's going to get the same target share you think he's going to be able to receive. Now he's going to get the bigger plays. He's probably going to get more of the touchdowns. Yes, that's why I have him at wide receiver 27. But Romeo Dobbs, you want to talk about guys to take shots on? Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I like that. Yeah, so another guy that I have on the list, and you know, we were I'm not gonna go too deep, much detail about him, but you talked to Brandon Ayuk already. Brandon Ayuk, I think, like I said, I think he's a steal. I think he is number one receiver on this team. I think he should be drafted ahead of Debo Samuel. And I think Brandon Ayuk's gonna be a guy that you're happy to have in your lineup week in, week out. Um, so I'll give you one more. And for me, this guy is I, I understand there's gonna be a lot of trepidation of taking him. Um, but when he's out there on the field, he's productive. And that's Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, to me, is a guy that everybody's kind of just forgotten about. He's going to be hurt. You're assuming he's going to be hurt. But maybe he is, maybe he's not. But I know he played three games last year, and he averaged 17.4 points in half-point PPR last year. So that's a receiver one potential that you can get for at least a few games. A lot of these guys are talking about, you know, we're hoping them pop off here or there. What I kind of bank my rankings on is I typed – guys who are consistent, and then I look for some shots to take. For me, a guy to take a shot on is Michael Thomas, a guy who I just think is with the values definitely there. Um, I think ECR, you know, everybody's assuming, like I said, he's going to stink, but he played last year, and he still was successful. Let's be clear here. The reason he was successful is because of the touchdowns that he got. Now, you can make the argument that he's just a really good touchdown presence and that maybe he pulls an Adam Thielen out of his hat where he just gets into the red zone enough times where it doesn't really matter the fact that he's getting a lack of targets that you would look for in a wide receiver of that caliber. Maybe that's the case. But I also know Chris Olave is about to take the next step up. And Michael Thomas is somebody who's reported as being widely inconsistent in camp. Some days he looks pretty good. Other reports say, you know, other days he looks like he can't get open. He looks like a shell of himself. I do, I do lean towards the size of Michael Thomas's wash. But the point is this. If you're going to take the draft capital on Thomas, you're probably drafting the double-digit rounds anyway. I don't think it's going to hurt you. This is not a way I'm going to go. Well, I'm, I can understand that perspective, but I also look at a guy that has been a receiver one. Uh, no, it hasn't been as of recent, but you call up about those touchdowns. They don't have any kind of depth about Denver having you know, some issues at receiver. This New Orleans team has Chris Holiday and Michael Thomas, and they're praying neither one of those guys get hurt because the depth is horrendous for this team. I like Shaib. He's definitely a slot guy. Um, I don't think that you're going to necessarily see these tight ends 
be featured in the offense. We haven't seen that as of recent for New Orleans. So when we look at this team in general, I look at Michael Thomas as a guy that Derek Carr is going to look for, is going to feel comfortable with. Had played with Michael Crabtree on the Raiders when Michael Crabtree was towards the end of his career. He's an older guy, but still successful with Derek Carr. So I think he's going to kind of connect with him the routes they run. I'm not worried about training camp necessarily for Michael Thomas. I would be scared if he – I heard he looked horrible. But to your point, I heard sometimes he doesn't try as hard. But, you know, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't look to practice. We know about that. So, I mean, uh, to me, these older guys, when they get to a certain point, eh, do I really have to prove myself? I think that it matters to them the Sundays. And I like Michael Thomas, like I said, as a steal at the value. Well, I will say the difference for me, I think Michael Thomas does need to prove himself. I think he does have to prove that he still can be the same guy. So I disagree from that standpoint that taking things off as a veteran for him is the same scenario as a guy like DeAndre Hopkins because I don't, I don't see it that way. He does have something he needs to prove. Uh, however, you're going to take him late. The touchdowns were there, and maybe that is the role for him. And just commenting on the tight ends real quick, Juwan Johnson just smells like Robert Tunyon to me. His touchdown rate was through the roof. It's not sustainable. And to your point, I don't think he becomes a featured enough tight end, given the depth that they have that position to be anything more than what you're hoping him to be as a red zone guy. So I'm not on the Jawan Johnson bandwagon uh, at all. There's only a certain role in which he is going to play. But let's get into my sleepers, shall we? I went a little bit deeper than you did, Chris, at least on, on some of them anyway. But the first guy I want to talk about is Tank Dell. Now, Tank Dell may be a guy who's not even getting drafted necessarily in your 12-man, 16-round leagues, but that's why I put him out here because I'm saying, you know what? That 16th round or that last round before you take a defensive kicker, whatever the case may be, maybe give a little look to Tank Dell. I was big on this guy coming out of college, even though he's small. And Chris, you know me. that That's hard for me. I don't like the small guys all that much. But the dude just gets open. And we're not just talking about open. We're talking about, like, wide open, which could be the best friend for a rookie quarterback on a team that likely will have to come back from behind more times than not because it's still not a very good roster. And that quarterback, by the way, was somebody who was instrumental in them drafting him in the first place because he wanted him that badly. I do. There has been already a relationship between those two in preseason. The guy will play a ton in the second half. The only caveat I have, obviously, I don't know how many times he's going to play in two receiver sets, being that he can't really block. And this is a system in which we know comes from Shanahan, the wide receivers need the block. But that's where I go back to the fact that this team's not going to be very good and going to have to come back in the second half, and they're going to need playmakers out there, something the Texans severely lack. Nico Collins is an average, maybe an average receiver. He may even be below average receiver. Like, we're, we're done with the Nico Collins thing at this point, aren't we? John Mechie, great story. Wasn't big on him coming out of college as an NFL prospect. Seems like he's just a guy and a guy who needs to play in the slot. And I think Tank Dell's better than him in that category. Robert Woods, I think, has been washed for two years. So I see a real vacancy at the wide receiver position for somebody to step up. I 100% agree. I think this is the top receiver that you'd want to, you know, if you're going to target a, a Texan receiver, this is the guy that you want to have your hands on. I'm 100% agree with you, Dan, that I, with a Mauser to feed, what are you really competing against? We know that, C, that CJ Stroud asked specifically for Tank Dell, that this is the guy that he wanted to play with. And then Tank Dell comes out and is basically just been lighting it up all summer long. Um, he beats off the press coverage. People thought, you know, what can he do? He gets over the top. He beats you all quickly. The guy scores touchdowns, too. That's one thing. That's why I liked him as a smaller guy coming out of college. He attacks the ball. Not all these guys showed you production in college, and getting, especially to the end zone or smaller guys. He did, and it wasn't just a matter of getting a bunch of bombs. It was guys, you know, short yardage, which we saw in the preseason. His touchdown he had in the preseason was a short yardage touchdown. 
So this guy, I think, also, I, I agree with you, you know, being a little bit worried about how much of a role does he play in two receiver sets. But Tyreek Hill doesn't block his shadow either. And if you can figure out how to kind of involve those guys, Jalen Wall's not a huge blocker. Um, the Dolphins kind of showed you the, you know, a, a blueprint in the sense of what you can do with that guy if he's not a blocker, jet sweep actions, you know, kind of fake screens. You can utilize him as a decoy versus necessarily being a guy who's blocked somebody. Hey, there's one we agreed on. How about that? All right, so my other guys, Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson, so we, we talk about best ball drafts, and you do a ton of them over the year, and you look at you look at this time of year is when you go back and you look at, okay, who do I have the most shares of? I have the most shares of Van Jefferson and Roshan Johnson in my best ball leagues. It's like an automatic, like, once we get to that 12th, 13th round, it's like Roshan Van Jefferson, Roshan Van Jefferson, like every single time. Van Jefferson finally, finally is healthy going into the regular season. And I think that's has been his biggest issue from taking that next step up in that Rams offense, especially last year. Somebody else besides Cooper Cup has to catch the ball. I have him ranked at wide receiver 52. ECR has him at wide receiver 66. ADP has him at wide receiver 72. This is his make or break year. Make no mistake about it. So if he he's going in there with an extra trip and extra motivation because he has to get it done this year. Otherwise, it may never happen for him. So finally coming in healthy, great spot to get a high team target share outside of Cooper Cup, a team that's going to be terrible on defense, going to have to score a lot of points offensively. I do still believe in Sean McVay as a play caller. Van Jefferson is that guy I'm routinely taking in that 12th, 13th round and loving the value as like my fifth, sixth receiver at that point. Yeah, I mean, guy had 896 yards and six touchdowns in 2021. Um, you're looking at a good guy as a number two receiver, a great option for you to have as a, you know, a flex option on your roster. And the only thing, Dan, I'm going to ask you, though, is you knock me on Cooper Cup because of Matthew Stafford. If Matthew Stafford goes down, Van Jefferson has no chance of doing anything fantasy-wise. So that's going to be an only caveat, but I'm with you. I think this guy's an absolute steal. 100% agree. Glad you brought that up. My retort to that is you're drafting Van Jefferson the 13th round. Who cares if that winds up happening? And that's kind of the point when it comes to the sleepers. It's high risk, low reward. That's what I look for in these guys. Uh, my last guy, I feel like I wouldn't be on brand if I didn't bring him up. So that would be Sky Moore, baby. My wide receiver, 39. Actually moved up a spot since I did this outline. His ADP is still wide receiver, 52. As much as people have come up on Sky Moore, and they have drastically. Remember when this when this training camp, this offseason first started, it was all aboard the Kadarius Tony train, which I could never understand because I'm like, oh, Kadarius Tony's hurt? Shocker. What would you guys think was going to happen? Sky Moore is going to take that next step. Rookie receivers and Andy Reid's offense do not go off. It's why I'm a little bit worried about Rashi Rice because I, I do love Rice quite a bit, but it's why I'm not big on him in redraft leagues right now. They just don't get the role within his offense no matter what. Even Tyreek Hill did not have a great role as a rookie in Andy Reid's offense. That's my point. That's my problem with that. But Sky Moore in his second year, who comes in to be the main slot receiver, who's playing in two receiver sets with the Chiefs all offseason, who's been getting on the same page with Patrick Holmes when they do the improvisation, which we all know with Travis Kelsey, that's what makes the bread and butter. If you can get on the same page in improvisation situations with Patrick Mahomes, you're going to get fed. And he's 10 times more explosive than Juju Smith-Schuster ever was, especially now. I'm super big on Sky Moore, especially talking about a guy you can get as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. 
give me all the Sky Moore shares in this offense. Somebody has to emerge as the wide receiver one. Even Juju, for a stretch last year, was the guy that was starting routinely as your wide receiver three in PPR leagues. Give me Sky Moore every day of the week. Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely think he's way down on the ADP than he should be. I'm not as high on Sky Moore as you are, but what I do agree with you is I think there's a clear-cut vision of him being at least Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't see much more of a ceiling than that, but I do think that he can be as involved as Juju Smith-Schuster as a receiver three, receiver four option on your team for the ADP's great value. That's going to do it for today's show. Hope you guys had fun. Hope you found it informative. I wish you all good luck in your fantasy football drafts this weekend. Make sure... Oh, go, 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 oh, well, here we go, Chris. Hold on, sorry. I'm so sorry, but I just have to add one guy that I thought you were going to mention. You talked about Sky Moore. The guy that I actually wound up having, you talk, you know, having guys back-to-back, I have Dobbs and Elijah Moore. People, grab yourself some Elijah Moore. Do not forget. Look at that value and talk about another guy you have as a receiver three option. Elijah Moore is a beast. I love his matchup. I love the connection with him and Deshaun Watson I've been hearing about. Yeah, so I'm with if we this was a top five sleepers, I think Elijah Moore would have made my list. He doesn't quite crack my top three. There is, while I do think it's a little bit overblown and this will get corrected during the season, I am a little bit afraid of all the reports that Deshaun Watson looks like he still stinks out there. Just, just, just enough to where he's not quite in my top three sleepers. But Elijah Moore is definitely somebody at his ADP, which I believe right now is in about the 10th round. If you go and look at it, it's somebody you can go ahead and take a shot on. We know his talent, what he can be. It, it, what happened last year is not what Elijah Moore is. It wasn't the Jets giving up on Elijah Moore. It was Elijah Moore giving up on the Jets and taking away his roles. A big difference. So I like the Elijah Moore call out there right before the end of the show. Guys, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell notification so you get notified whenever we have new content available to you. And stay up to date with the show when you're on the go by downloading us on your favorite podcast app. We're going to be back again twice next week. Wednesday at 9.30, we'll be talking about the tight ends, our top five, our pitfalls, and our sleepers for that. And then Thursday, we get Chaz Flaherty on here for a full hour. It's going to be all sports betting for a full hour, getting you ready to cash in some tickets on the NFL divisions and player awards and player VR props. That's what we're going to be mostly focusing in on for that. So make sure you tune in. And then we'll, after that, dude, it's week one. It's week one after that. Oh my God, I cannot wait. Give us a follow on social media at Belly of MDFF Show on X and at MDFF Show on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok. Guys, we're going to see you next week. 